0: Please open up your Bible to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. If you're using one of the Bibles you got off the back table or that we've given you, that's on page 975. I'm not a big reader of histories about war. And I found that when I do read them, I usually get confused by the battle descriptions. I find them hard to follow. I tend to kind of just get the high points and rush past until the next thing in the history. Usually, I guess the ones I have in mind are Civil War battles. And maybe this was something unique to the Civil War, but I imagine it's true for all war that the battles were confusing, that the, the lines were shifting. Gain was, uh, ground was gained and lost. Uh, I think typically they always knew who they were supposed to be shooting at, uh, but even then friendly fire was a common thing. Wounds happened that were inadvertent. There were often trouble getting the the right message to the right unit to get to the right spot. There were people who were hindered from carrying the message or, or messages incorrectly received and relayed. They're just logistical problems. This unit's out of ammo or, or, or cannon fodder, whatever it would be. All sorts of confusion abounds in the midst of a battle. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to enter into a battle. We're going to see Paul say that the flesh and the spirit are opposed. The flesh is fighting Against God's Spirit, and God's Spirit fights against the flesh. And Paul is going to tell us how we are to join that battle. As we walk through our text this morning, those will be our two points. The flesh fights against God's Spirit, and we fight by walking in the Spirit. In this way, I think the Lord intends to help us cut through the fog of war, to plainly see who our enemy is and to show us what resources we have to fight. So let's read the passage. we will be looking at Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Listen to God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. So God. we see again there is a war going on, a battle between God's Spirit and the flesh. Paul says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. In the verses that come just before our passage that we looked at last Sunday, Paul has told us that we shouldn't use our freedom as an occasion to indulge our flesh. Now he explains why that command is necessary. The flesh is powerfully opposed to the work of God's spirit in our lives. When Paul says flesh in this context, it's his shorthand for talking about our sinful nature. Who we are apart from God's grace. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8 is a helpful parallel passage. Paul there says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh is hostile to God's ways. And the natural state of humanity, of all people apart from God's grace, is that we are in the flesh. We are ruled by God enslaved by our sinful desires and Paul says in this state we cannot please God by God's grace we see that Christians are no longer in the flesh in that sense of being ruled by the flesh we see in verse 24 of our passage that Christ has freed us once and for all from the dominion of the flesh yet we see that the flesh is still an ongoing presence in our lives So for Christians on this side of heaven, we can say that the flesh no longer reigns, but it does remain. We're no longer enslaved to our flesh, but our sinful desires are still alive within us. And so there is this war going on inside our own hearts. The Spirit of God, who the Father has sent into our hearts, opposes the flesh. And the flesh opposes God's Spirit. When we call this a war, or I call this a war, we should be clear, this is not a war of evenly matched opponents. So our Lord does not lose any of those that the Father has given him. It's more accurate to say that Christ has decisively won the war against the flesh for the sake of God's people, but the final battles are still being fought, and Christians must join the fight. We are to fight against the sinful desires that remain. In the context of this letter to the Galatians, we need to remember that Paul told us there are two prongs to the flesh's attack. The main attack that Paul has discussed so far in the letter is the desire of the flesh to be saved by the law, justification by works of the law. That's what the the flesh wants. This is the pride of the flesh that says, I can do something to merit my salvation, something to be acceptable before God. So we talked about this in Galatians 3, 3, where he says to the Galatians, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So that's one kind of desire that the flesh has that wars against God's Spirit. Paul's told us the Spirit of God is the Spirit who creates faith in us, faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the sinful pride of seeking salvation by works is an attack on the spirit of God. It's a, it's a war against God's saving grace. Those who are truly of the spirit, we can say, have, we have been decisively delivered from trying to earn our own way to God. But we must every day put to death that pride. So that's the first prong of the flesh's attack, is the pride of self justification. The second prong of the flesh's attack includes all the other sinful desires we have. These are included in the works of the flesh that Paul lists for us in verse 19 through 20 immorality, rivalry, drunkenness, those kinds of things. Because the Spirit here is the Spirit of God, He's the Spirit of righteousness, of purity, of love, of gentleness. So that these, these desires, these immoral desires we have, these competitive desires, selfish desires, these are at war against God and God's ways. This battle is raging in the heart of every Christian. But what if you're not a Christian? Maybe you're here because you've thought of yourself as a Christian, but maybe you've begun to wonder if you really are. Or maybe you're here wondering maybe you should become a Christian. What is that like? One diagnostic question you might ask yourself is this. Am I fighting my sinful desires? We don't fight our sin in order to become Christians, but fighting our sinful desires is a sign of true faith. Think back again to what Paul said in Romans 8, 7 and 8, that in our sinful state, we are opposed to God and we cannot please God. So if you're outside of Christ your desire to live your own way is opposed to God, the God who made you. This is true even if your life looks pretty good by most counts. You can be very respectable, you can be a very good kid, and still be very opposed to God. Most tragically, if you're holding back from trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, You're opposed to God's grace of salvation. If you're opposed to God, then you must understand that God will finally oppose you. The day will come when the wrath of God will be all too real to you. Paul warns about this in verse 20. Those who do the works of the flesh, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the blessing of eternal life, of fellowship with God, that's what's represented by that phrase, kingdom of God, those will not be yours if you continue living in the flesh without repentance. You'll be finally cut off from life with God and condemned to eternal death. Maybe you're here and all of this has started to disturb you. You've slowly become aware of your sinful desires You slowly become aware of how enslaved you are. You keep doing what is not right. Perhaps it started to dawn on you that you're opposed to God and it's made you uncomfortable. If that's you today, let me urge you, don't try to escape that uncomfortable feeling. Don't chase it away with entertainment or other distractions. Don't try to resolve this dissonance that you're feeling by trying to pile on good works. Consider... That God's spirit is opening your eyes to your sinful desires and turn to Christ. The message of Galatians is the message of the gospel. The great news that those who are enslaved to our sinful desires, we can be freed. The guilty can be forgiven of our sins by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection. So if you repent of being opposed to God and you receive with faith the promise of salvation in Christ. You can be declared righteous in God's sight, adopted into God's family. The good news is that if you know yourself right now to be opposed to God, you don't need to go on living in opposition to God. Said by faith in Christ, you can repent and tr- believe and join the war against the flesh that God is fighting. God will equip you for that war by pouring his spirit into your heart. So turn to Christ. For those of us who are Christians, we must examine our lives and ask a similar question. Are we fighting? Do we acknowledge the battle that's going on? Do we see our enemy? Paul commands us here to fight by walking by the Spirit. We fight by walking by the Spirit. This is our second point. And we we see it in verse 16, but I say walk. It's a command. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is how we fight against the flesh, by walking by the Spirit. But how do we do that? For the rest of our time, I just want to go through a number of ways I think we can draw from this passage and others how we walk by the Spirit, how we fight. First, we walk by the Spirit by remembering all of Christ's benefits. We confessed with the Heidelberg Catechism that the Spirit makes me share in Christ in all his benefits. The first way we can walk by the Spirit is remembering all these benefits. Throughout the letter, Paul has been opposed to those who taught that Christians must obey the law in order to be forgiven of their sins. If we try to reconstruct the false teacher's argument and try to understand why this would have been persuasive... It seems like one of the key elements was that the law would have been a missing piece, perhaps, to the Galatians. They were being taught that you've got some good stuff, but now just add the law. And that'll be the final thing you need for the faithful Christian life. That could be especially compelling to think, well, maybe my life seems formless, it's aimless, but the law will provide some direction. It'll provide some help in this battle against the flesh that I'm fighting. But this is what Paul says in Colossians. The rituals of the law indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And echoing the Galatians argument, he said, but the law is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Notice Paul says here that the spirit opposes the flesh. He says that it's because we belong to Christ and have the Holy Spirit that's why we've crucified the flesh. The force within us that opposes the flesh is not law-keeping. It's the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. He says we live by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit, and therefore we're not under the law. One of the trickiest phrases in our passage is in verse 17, the very end of, this, of verse 17. Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. That part's all clear. But then the tricky part comes to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What does this mean? Some think this is saying that um, we're just at this constant state of war, you know, that we're hindered by the flesh from doing the good things we want. But there's a good reason to interpret this last phrase as saying, no, it's actually the spirit that limits the flesh. The Spirit keeps you from doing those fleshly things that you want to do. It enables you to resist the desires of the flesh. Because of what Christ has done, we're now indwelled by God's Spirit. He lives within us and He opposes the flesh. And so our source of power to fight against sin is not the Old Testament law. It's not our own willpower. It's Christ crucified in our place. So we walk by the Spirit By relying on Christ. Again, this is what Paul means in verse 24 when he says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice this is not a command. He's not saying, Crucify the flesh. He's saying that it's happened. If you are Christ's, if you are of Christ, that's all this this little phrase, those who belong, those of Christ, those of Christ have crucified the flesh. It has happened. You have died to sin because you've been united by faith in Christ and you are alive to God. Paul's already told us this once in Galatians. He no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. He lives by faith in the Son of God. This is the reality for Christians. This is why we say the war has been decisively won. The flesh has been crucified. So now we keep in step with the Spirit By remembering who we are in Christ. By remembering all the benefits that are ours in Christ. The Spirit has grafted us into Christ. Through the Spirit we've come to trust in the Son. And now the Spirit of the Son is in our hearts. And we cry out to God, Abba, Father. We are received as sons because of the Spirit. That's the Spirit's work. But what about our part of the relationship? We Fulfill our part of the relationship. We fellowship with the Spirit by preaching the gospel to ourselves. We say to ourselves, "Self, you are dead to sin. You are alive to God. You are a beloved son of God in whom He is well pleased because of Jesus." This is not some Christian version of positive self-talk. This is the Spirit's work to remind us of the gospel when sin accuses us. When sin accuses us, we commune with the Spirit by remembering the gospel. And we say with Paul, Christ gave himself for me. This is the, the two-way street of fellowship in the Spirit. The, the Spirit persuades us of the gospel, and we remember the gospel. There's a book I want to commend to you. I've got props and everything today. This book, Friendship with God by Mike McKinley. This is a book that that is Mike McKinley's CliffsNotes version of John Owen's very thick book, Communion with the Triune God. And so he walks through how we fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and takes the dense 17th century language and condenses it into stuff that we 21st century people can understand. But here's how he summarizes Owen at one particular point. He said, a believer's conscience and sense of indwelling sin might cause him to fear that he does not actually belong to God. He quotes Owen now. Satan, in the meantime, opposes with all his might the believer, and sin and the law assist him. McKinley goes on. In that situation, the spirit bears witness on the believer's behalf. He is able to speak to the believer's heart with some kind of powerful sense or word of consolation and comfort to convince him that he belongs to God. This is the Spirit's wonderful ministry. Later, Owen will say that the Spirit's work is to give poor, sinful souls a comfortable persuasion that God in Jesus Christ loves him, delights in him, is well pleased with him, has thoughts of tenderness and kindness towards him. This is what the Spirit would persuade us of. This comfortable persuasion, these are all the benefits of Christ. So walk by the Spirit by remembering and trusting in the gospel. This is a vital way that we fight against the desires of the flesh. Remember who we are in Christ. Our sins are paid for. We are adopted by God through Jesus Christ. We are freed from the power and penalty of sin. We should remember this for ourselves. And consider how we can encourage each other with these truths. You can encourage your brothers and sisters here to walk by the Spirit by pointing them to the gospel. So walk by the Spirit and fight the flesh by remembering all the benefits of Christ. A second way we walk by the Spirit is by not grieving the Spirit. This idea of grieving the Spirit comes from Ephesians 4, verse thirty. Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. McKinley says that grieving the Spirit is not making the Spirit sad. Rather, it's living a life devoted to something other than the holiness the Spirit brings to his people. Living a life devoted to something other than the holiness the Spirit brings to his people why am I talking about grieving the Spirit in Galatians 5? There's nothing about grieving the Spirit here. I talk about it here because Paul takes pains to explicitly list all these works of the flesh in verses 19 through 20. He wants us to know the kind of behaviors that are contrary to walking in the Spirit. In a sense, Paul is putting the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. Right, he says this is, it's, this is plain for all to see, but I'm going to go ahead and list like 15 things for you so you know. To indulge in these behaviors is to oppose the Spirit of God within you. If we knowingly and unrepentingly do these works of the flesh, we're grieving the Spirit. We're not walking with him. And by doing so, we're opposing God himself, our gracious God and Savior. Let's look through this list at the things that grieve the Spirit. Paul lists first, this first group of things in verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Think about God's own purity. How he has made us. He's made our bodies. He's created all of us, even our sexuality, for his glory. And so to openly pursue sinful sexual pleasure is to live according to the flesh. This doesn't mean that these are the unpardonable sins. It doesn't mean that we should openly shame one another when we confess and repent of such sinful desires but it does tell us that God opposes sexual immorality it is ungodly so we should fight these desires when they arise because we are in Christ we've crucified sexual immorality if we're going to be realistic about this battle, we have to recognize that we live in a time where opportunities for sexual impurity are everywhere. It's like we've, we've done for indoor plumbing, what, or we've for sanitation that indoor plumbing did with, with the internet. We've put pornography everywhere and made it easily accessible. It's on demand. And on top of that, we've made many kinds of sexual immorality to be encouraged and spoken of as if they're positive goods in our world. So do we see how fierce the battle that we're fighting is? We have sinful desires that spring up in our own hearts, and we have a world around us that's saying, indulge. But are you fighting? Are you remembering that God did not redeem you so that you'd re-enslave yourself to these forms of sexual immorality? Have you enlisted others in the fight? If you're harboring a secret habit of sexual immorality, Obviously, confess it to God, but also confess it to a godly person that you know. Ask for their help. Ask for them to pray for you, that you wouldn't walk by the flesh. One way you can begin walking by the Spirit is to drag your sin into the light. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with sexual immorality. Next in his list, Paul talks about idolatry and sorcery. These were sins associated with pagan worship. As he says, these works of the flesh are evident. It should be clear to all of us, these things are opposed to God. But Yet we should ask, am I walking in idolatry? I heard a missionary interviewed recently who was talking about the challenges of ministering in pioneer settings where there's been no churches in, in small remote tribes and villages where there's still a lot of animistic religion and witchcraft and he said one of the challenges is that you'll see people who seem to come to Christ and they come to church on Sunday and then their, their child gets sick Sunday night and they take him to the witch doctor the next day. They're syncretistic, they, they tend to try to want to marry their, their kind of native beliefs with the gospel that they've heard. It's easy to spot that kind of syncretism, but we should ask, what does syncretism look like for a Houstonian, a modern American? Are we trying to worship God and mammon? Are we putting a a hope in a certain standard of living? Or are there possessions or privileges in this world that we would be absolutely devastated if we lost? Paul says, idolatry is a work of the flesh. If we are unrepentantly indulging in it, we're not walking by the Spirit. We're opposing God. The next grouping of works of the flesh is Paul's longest. We see a bunch of sins here that destroy relationships. It's likely that Paul's especially thinking here about the relationships of the church and Galatia, right? He's already warned in verse 15 about biting and devouring one another. And so now he lists enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. He returns to these same ideas at the end of our passage. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That word conceited is translated in the King James as vainglory, seeking vainglory. We see here that God is one, and through the gospel, he has united us in Christ. He said this in the end of chapter 3, because of what Christ has done in making us all sons, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, no longer male nor female. We are one in Christ. So consider any work that tears apart the body of Christ is a sin Against God's own oneness and against the gospel unity that Christ purchased with his blood. Are we jealous of one another? If we see a church member succeeding, are we wanting to kind of chop them down? Are we indulging in anger? These are works of the flesh. He includes in this list the word divisions. This was especially relevant for the Galatians, right? They were... Susceptible to this false teaching, divisions were arising within them. So he's warning them here. If you divide your church by going after false doctrines, that's a work of the flesh. It's against the spirit. We should ask, am I indulging anything that might bring division into this body? One way that we can divide the body is by the way we handle our own opinions and preferences. How do you speak of those theological ideas that you have that they're not in our confession of faith? You're free to hold them. Do you speak about them in a way that makes it sound like anyone who doesn't agree is an idiot? (laughs) Do you speak about them with charity, allowing room for disagreement? Do you speak in a way that sows division? Or think about what we're saying when someone leaves the church, not to join another faithful gospel preaching church, but just leaves and doesn't go to any church. They remove themselves from the church in a sense of kind of self-excommunication almost. That's a kind of dividing the church. Saying, I don't need you anymore. Are you in any way dividing the church? Paul says this is a work of the flesh. So we should ask when it comes to our relationships, are we grieving the Holy Spirit or are we walking by the Spirit? Finally, Paul mentions drunkenness and orgies. This word orgies probably means something like wild parties. It's kind of a blatant self-abandonment. One commentator said dissipation. which sounds important, but I'm not really sure I know what that means. Dissipation, blatant, self disregard for, for self-control. And this kind of sin is a lie about the, the goodness and wisdom of God, that God does not care what is good. He's, he doesn't care about us living wisely. We should just live however we want. It's a lie about God's character. Paul wants us to see if we openly and unrepentantly indulge in works of the flesh. And he says these are just a a part of the group. It's an incomplete list. So if we do these things or things like these, he wants us to see we're grieving the Spirit. We're not walking by the Spirit. And so one way to walk by the Spirit is to, to be on guard against these works of the flesh. We can pray for sensitivity. Lord, show me. Have I made Peace. Well, some fleshly way of living that's against your nature. A third way we walk by the Spirit is by walking in love. This brings us to the fruit of the Spirit there in verse 22. After he lists the works of the flesh and warns that those who practice the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That last phrase is a little bit confusing, but I think it's saying that the the law of God doesn't oppose these things. Paul has written a lot about the law in Galatians, and he's wanting them to know you you don't need the law to have a, a moral guide. The Spirit here is leading you into these things. Notice also, again, this is another what we might call indicative passage. He, this is not a command to put on these fruits, although we, mo- we most certainly understand we should pursue them. Rather, it's a description. This is what the fruit of the Spirit are. In that sense, it's, a, it's like a description of God's own attributes. This is what God is like. God is loving. God is joyful. God is patient. God is kind. God is good. God is faithful. This is what God is like. And we see this is what Christ is like. When Christ was walking on earth, didn't we see these fruit represented in his own life? Full of gentleness and self-control. Faithful. Patient. Loving. Another book recommendation. God Is by Mark Jones. I'd encourage you to get this book. And especially read chapter... Two, chapter three, I'm sorry, chapter two, God is simple. In this chapter on God's simplicity, Pastor Jones shows that this doctrine shows that God is one and indivisible. There aren't any parts in God. And so he, he says that this means that when we think of God's love, we can't think of it as discrete, as a separate part of him from God's justice. God's love is his justice, he says. And that has a very practical outworking here in the fruit of the Spirit. Because we see the fruit of the Spirit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And so, he says, love is often love because it is patient. Love is love because of its patient kindness. In Galatians 5, Paul is saying our love must be joyful love, patient love, peaceful love, faithful love, gentle love. And so forth. Our patience is a joyful patience. And then he quotes Jonathan Edwards, who says, All the graces of Christianity always go together, so that where there is one, there are all. And when one is wanting, all are wanting. So imagine saying that you're going to live out the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to be a loving person, but not gentle. Can you imagine? Does that make any sense to, to make that kind of allowance for yourself? A loving person who's known for breaking his promises. A loving person who's impatient with all those around him. A loving person who's always stirring up strife. We see that it makes no sense. To, to have the fruit of the Spirit, then, is to reflect God's own character. We walk in spirit by walking in the kind of love that Paul describes here. I am prioritizing love in this list because Paul has already told us about the importance of love in Galatians. That in love we are to serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled and love your neighbor as yourself. But we could just as easily talk about kindness or peace. We are called to walk in love. The spirit working in us will look like this. We should evaluate our lives and ask, is there there anything lacking in my love? Not, Not so that we will condemn ourselves and think, woe is me, there's no hope for me, but so that the Lord will lead us to repentance and faithfulness in all these ways. In every relationship, we can ask, how is my love gentle towards my wife or my children or my neighbors? Am I exhibiting God's own patience To ask, am I walking by the fruit of the Spirit again, is to ask, am I walking in a way that reflects who God is? Or am I walking in a way where the works of the flesh are evident in my life? So we walk in the Spirit, and we fight the flesh by walking in love. Love that represents the the whole nature of God. Next, we walk in the Spirit by attending to God's Word. This isn't as directly in the text as some of these others, but I think it's worth noting because this is a letter from Paul that's in the New Testament. And this letter is full of gospel truth. And we confess that this letter is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The reason that we have the word of God is because of the Spirit's work. So to attend to the Spirit, especially for us New Testament Christians, must mean that we attend to the Spirit's inspired word. There's no way of living the the spirit-led life that is contrary to God's word. Where does God reveal his will? It is here in his word. So if you want to be walking in the spirit, if you want to be fighting the flesh, be a student of God's word, a faithful reader of God's word, a faithful hearer of God's word. In his book, Mike McKinley draws special attention to attending to the preached word when he's summarizing John Owen and how Owen says that sometimes we resist the spirit. He says, one way we resist the spirit is by neglecting God's word. And McKinley says this especially about preaching. He says, in our times, the work of the spirit is in part to empower pastors and teachers to proclaim the word that he has inspired for the benefit and building up of believers in the church. This means that one of the key ways we live out our relationship with the Spirit is to listen humbly and reverently to the Word as it's preached week in and week out by the Spirit-empowered preachers in our churches. When we're inattentive to, disinterested in, or critical of the Bible as it is preached to us, we are resisting the Spirit. But when we give due honor to the preaching of the Word, we're communing with the Holy Spirit. I want to be very clear, this is not aimed at anybody. <laughs> we don't have a church of so people who are, who are complaining about the Bible as it's preached to them. By God's grace, you're a wonderful people to preach to, hungry for God's word. But I thought this was especially helpful to think about how might we resist the spirit. This, this is one way we might resist it, by resisting the preached word, or, or by resisting the, the private word read in our devotions, or by resisting the word when our wife calls us on our sin, We can resist the Spirit by neglecting God's word. But we walk in the Spirit. We live out our relationship with the Spirit of God by humbly and reverently attending to his word. So I want to commend you as a congregation and encourage you, keep walking by the Spirit by attending to God's word. Final way I want to say that we walk by the Spirit, again, not in the text, but I think under the text in a way, is that we walk by the Spirit by prayer. We walk in the Spirit by prayer. Consider some of the things we've, we've already talked about. One way that we fight conceitedness or a seeking of vainglory is by expressing our dependence upon Christ in prayer. So when you pray, when you praise God as your Father, when you ask for your daily bread, when you pray for forgiveness of sins, as, the, as all these things in the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, what are we doing but, but reminding ourselves in the presence of God that Jesus saved us, that we're dependent on him for everything. So we commune with the Spirit by prayer. Prayer is a, a spiritual activity. I don't mean that in the vague way that we use the word spiritual. I mean in the, in the God's Spirit must be at work in us if we are to pray faithfully. Pray is a way we commune with the Spirit. By prayer, we also remember that this holiness is ultimately God's work. When we ask God to help us fight against the flesh and to walk by the Spirit, we're saying, Lord, you must do this in us. This must be your work. And by prayer, we also rejoice in the love of God in Christ poured out on us by the Spirit. Remember Owen, John Owen said, the spirit reminds us that we are loved in Christ, reminds us that we are righteous in Christ, reminds us that we are sons of God, reminds us that God is kind towards us. Prayer should be a time where we rehearse God's blessings to us in Jesus. So one of the things we try to do in our church is to uh, praise God each Sunday. And we try to be kind of like particular and nerdy about it. So that prayer of adoration in your bulletin, we try to make it only about praising God. Now we sneak in some requests. So today I snuck in a request at the very end that we would walk by the Spirit. But we try to keep the requests pushed to the margins because we want to praise God for who he is. We'd encourage you to, to try that. Praise God for who he is as a way to commune with the Spirit about how God has saved you, about how glorious he is, about how good he is. When you pray in this way, you are, you are walking in the Spirit. And so we walk in the Spirit by prayer. Also, we live out the fruit of the Spirit in part by prayer. How do you manifest your love for each other in this church? By praying for each other. One of the most profound things we do for our lost friends is we pray for them. We pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. We commune with God's spirit and we walk in the spirit by by praying for one another. We manifest the fruits of the spirit. We often remark how it's difficult to be mad at somebody that you're praying for. And so by prayer we seek to put to death the works of the flesh, the jealousy and envy that might divide us. By prayer, we ask God to preserve us and keep us in his truth. We pray for his faithfulness. So walk in the spirit by prayer. There's a battle in our hearts, but it's not a battle where the outcome is in doubt. God has won the victory in Jesus Christ. God sent his son, the son who loved us and gave himself for us. And God has sent the Spirit into our hearts. Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you fighting the desires of the flesh? The Spirit teaches us that we are loved by God through Jesus Christ. The Spirit tells us that we belong to Christ and that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Spirit tells us we are sons of God and heirs with Christ. Are we walking by the Spirit? Let's pray. Our Father, once again, we come in awe and in thankfulness for the gift of your Spirit. We thank you that you have not left us alone, but that you are with us that you have sent your spirit to remind us of how we are loved in Christ. We pray that you will teach us how to fellowship with the spirit. Teach us how to attend to your word. How to remember the gospel each day. How to fight against the works of the flesh. We pray that you would make us people of prayer. That through prayer we would exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And that way we would rely on Christ. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the calling we have together to walk by the Spirit together. We pray for you to help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray.